think what a difference the invention of the wheel has made. Life would be such a drag without the wheel. Wouldn't it? Imagine you'd have to drag your kids out of bed in the morning and then still drag them to school. I'm sure you don't do that. My folks-in-law would have to drag themselves all the way up here to Wellington, up from to Whanganui. But what a difference the wheel has made to mankind. Now, having said that, there is no comparison of what I'm going to say next. Think what a difference Jesus Christ has made to humanity. Where would we be without him? In the period leading up to this passage that we're going to be reading about this morning, there was a period of intense spiritual darkness in the form that God did not reveal himself directly through the prophets or through anyone else for a period of 400 plus years. And then one night it all changed. Angels made a massive announcement. Angels said, the Messiah is to be born. And Jesus was born. And many didn't know or take notice. As we saw last week, Jesus started his public ministry. He goes into a synagogue service And there he proclaims these shocking words. I am the Messiah. And the people can't handle it. And they drive him out of town and want to kill him. And today we're going to see how Jesus, not just in his words, but in his actions, shows, yes, I am the Messiah. And what a difference he has made because he calls us, you and I, if we are believers here today, to follow in his footsteps and through the history of this world. Christians have gone in obedience and what a difference Christians have made to this earth. But are you and I part of it at making a difference? Let's go and see what happened in this day that Jesus went through in his life. If you thought you've had a busy day, if you thought your Sunday is busy, even though you've got little kids, you look what Jesus had to go through in one day. And it's quite an amazing record that Luke gives us in Luke chapter 4, where he describes one day in Jesus' life, starting with the service in the morning and ending the next morning when the sun rises. Let's have a look at what Jesus does. And says to these people, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through to 44. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Then he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. 
Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you, you who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. So they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now Jesus arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house, that's Simon Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of Jesus concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. How's that for a lady? Now when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone with, with sick, with various diseases, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus rebuked them. He did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. That kind of seems strange. We'll get to that. Verse 42. Now when it was day, that's the next morning, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him, and tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose... I've been sent. And Jesus was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now it's very interesting that we read here that Jesus leaves Nazareth where, as last week we saw, that he had this amazing announcement in the synagogue. He leaves Nazareth because they've rejected him and also because he has work to do. And he comes and he establishes himself in Capernaum. And I put a map up there so you can see where that is. He makes this his headquarters. Now it's very interesting, just a little background on Capernaum. The village name Capernaum actually means the village of compassion. And here the God of love comes to stay in the village of compassion. And we're going to see what happens from this village as Jesus goes out into the surrounding countryside. Interesting too, just um, by the way, that Luke calls this just a city of Galilee. Because remember who he's writing to. This is going back a bit now. Who's he writing to? He's writing to a Gentile called Theophilus, who doesn't necessarily know all the geographic details of Israel. And so he writes to him and he says, it's just the city of Galilee. We know that uh, Capernaum is situated on the northwest shore of Galilee. The Lake Galilee, it's 680 feet below sea level. And just for me as an aviation fanatic, it's interesting to know that the Israeli Air Force has the only planes in the world with altimeters showing heights or uh, um, showing altimeters for below sea level. Usually if you go below sea level, you're in the ground, but not the Israeli Air Force. And so they've got these altimeters. Why did Jesus 
set himself up in Capernaum. Well, Capernaum had three highways joining it. And so it was a basis for commercial travellers and for colonisers for the Roman Empire who would go from Capernaum into the surrounding regions. It was also seen as a small centre of political administration because of these highways coming together. From it, Jesus and his disciples would reach the other Galilean towns in that area and most of his work would happen in this area of Galilee for the years that Jesus was on this earth. From Capernaum, they could either use the land or the lake and reach all these villages. So it was a great basis or base for a headquarters. We read too in this morning's text that Jesus went to the home of Simon Peter and here we know that Peter, Andrew, James and John were fishermen brothers and they all stayed in this big home that Simon Peter had. Remember, Simon Peter was a very um, successful commercial fisherman on the Lake of Galilee and so he had presumably because they often used to have these meetings in his home, a fairly substantial home where his mother-in-law used to stay as well, the extended family. And so Luke condenses one day packed full of action. But what action it is, it's divine action, you see, it's God at work. And so let's see as we go through with Jesus what happens to him on this Sabbath day. Firstly, we see that he goes into the synagogue as he usually did on the Sabbath, to go and teach as a rabbi. And we see Jesus revealing truth as truth hadn't been revealed before. And Scripture records for us in verses 31 to 32 that Jesus revealed truth through challenging and authoritative teaching. Very much the the contrast of what had been happening up to now. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees would teach And according to the writings of Josephus, sometimes their their, their sermons were so boring it was like watching dust dry. And here comes Jesus Christ, a rabbi, and what does he do? He teaches with authority. When he speaks the words of the scriptures as they had them in that day, the words seem to come alive. And it didn't just encourage, it also challenged people, as we're going to see this morning. And Scripture records that these people were astonished or amazed at his teaching. And the Greek word there says it has the the connotation of to be struck with panic. So in hearing Jesus' words, they were amazed but with panic. Why were they panicking? Because the words were challenging their own walks before this word of God. Jesus was teaching them truths about life, about godly love about reaching out to people living around them. And as Jesus was teaching, the word was challenging them and they were thinking, we don't live like this. What now? The word was coming alive, you see, as Jesus was teaching. Their lives weren't measuring up to the truth. But before we get too settled in here today, do our lives measure up to the truth of God's word? Or do we hear the truth, the truth comes in and out, and it doesn't tend to make much difference. We hear it, we go about our merry way. Does the truth of God's word make a difference in your life and mine? You see, when Jesus was teaching, 
They were challenged. He revealed truth to them. And they were panicking. Secondly, this must have been an amazing service to be part of. Because here Jesus was, and the people came into the synagogue, and they thought this is just another Sabbath service. And they sat down and they chatted to their friends as they did. They went through the motions of prayer, calling, being called to worship. They opened the word, they read the word, and then Jesus sat down to preach. And it doesn't say what he was saying at that stage, but midway through the service, suddenly this demon-possessed man starts speaking. Now imagine the people. See, someone's once said, the devil never misses a service. Why? Because he wants to keep people from the truth. So if the devil's going to work strategically, he'd be in these services. And he might be here now. Now what we know about Satan, he's not everywhere present at the same time like God is. But he could be here. And so I'd ask you this morning, keep your attention to the word. And I'll try and help you through that. But keep your attention and listen. Don't get distracted. Don't fall asleep. I've got things I can throw. My dogs will tell you I'm quite accurate. You see, the first Peter 5, 5.8 says this to you and I. It says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. That means even now, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion and he's seeking someone to devour. Is it going to be you this morning? Is he going to devour your ears so that you don't hear the truth? Stay awake. Stay alert. As they were in this service, the evil spirits recognized Jesus. Imagine what happened there that day. There Jesus walks in as the rabbi, and as he opens the word and he speaks authoritatively, the spirits recognize the command and the commanding voice, and they know this is the Son of God. And Scripture is interesting here. You see, it says they greeted him with surprise, disgust, and hostility. Because of a word used here. In the original language it's there, but it's not in your scripture as such. There's the word ha. And the word ha means, let us alone. When you wanted to tell someone to leave you alone, you'd say to him, ha. And these, these, these spirits recognize Jesus and he, he, using the vocal cords of the man that the spirit is staying inside of, he shouts out, ha, leave us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus, the Nazarene? Why do you come to bother us, Jesus? We're just here among these religious folk. Why do you bother us here in a synagogue on a Sabbath, Jesus? Why? They're having a good time. Have you come to destroy us? Do you see how that changes to fear, from hostility to fear in these demons? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, this demon recognized Jesus and he recognized that he was God. He knew. You know, he does better than many atheists do. Many atheists today would say there is no God. Well, here a demon recognizes the Son of God. And for Christians who deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's a lesson. A demon knows that Jesus is the Son of God. Surely us humans should take note of that. 
when evil even tells us that he's the Son of God. And yet, you see how sinful we are as human beings? We'd even say, no, I don't even want to hear that, even though the devils say he is. You see, they show less insight than some of these rebellions, than some of these demons. And so this demon interrupts Jesus' sermon. And what a sermon illustration that must have been. I can't do anything like this unless the Lord tells me to one day. But this was just a sermon illustration to beat anything. Here Jesus is preaching. He's come with power. He's speaking with power. And these demons react to that power in that message. And it cries out. I can imagine those people. Their jaws must have been open. I mean, last Sunday, last Sabbath, all right, Saturday, last Saturday, imagine the Messiah. But this Saturday, look at this. Look what this man's doing. Who is this man? Jesus commands this demon because he's disrupting what Jesus is doing. He says to him, be quiet. Literally, he says, be muzzled, demon. Be muzzled. And come out now. And now you can imagine the people. Jesus commanded a demon to come out of a man. What's going to happen now? Because if it doesn't come out, Jesus' claims to Messiahship are gone. He's made the command. And so they're watching with bated breath. And Scripture tells us in these verses that this demon came out of this man and he exited this man shrieking and hurling him right into the crowd, says Mark chapter 1, verse 26, and leaving the man there in convulsions. That's what Mark describes it as, the parallel passage. And yet, Scripture says, he left the man without doing him any harm. And I like Luke's kind of spin on it as a doctor. You see, Jesus was present there, and the, man, the demon couldn't harm the man, but he had to come out of him. And so he does his level best. He throws him into the crowd and then he leaves him in convulsions. But he doesn't harm him. You see the power of Jesus at work? What a service. Now look at the people's response. They've already been panicking because of what Jesus has been saying and this, the power of this message. Now think what the impact is on them. This man commands demons to come out as well as preaching powerfully. Maybe he is the Messiah. You see, the word used here for amazement this time changes in the Greek and now it is a word which describes amazement mingled with terror. Who is he? They'd heard the stories of how Jesus got driven out the previous Sabbath. Who is he? The amazement is mingled with terror. You see, this man commands and they come out. He teaches and it hits our hearts. Who is he? Is he perhaps the Messiah? But you know how sinful our hearts are. They still turn away and they won't hear. They've seen these things. They've heard Jesus' own words. Imagine what it would be like if Jesus was here with us and I could go and sit there. I'd love that. And Jesus could teach and preach. That'd be fantastic. Well, they've got him in their midst. And they see his power at work with their own eyes. So that would be a service they wouldn't forget. I bet no one was sleeping during that service. Well, Jesus doesn't stop here. You see, his day's just started. 
he goes to, after the service, to Simon Peter's home. And there's Simon Peter's mother lying with a high fever, a chronic high fever is the word that's used. Verses 38 to 41, following your texts. And the disciples come to the Lord and they say, Lord, and I can imagine Peter there, the big burly fisherman, Lord, my mother's been sick for so long, Lord. If you can cast demons out of people, if you can speak the word so powerfully, Lord, can you perhaps heal my mother? Can you see Peter? I can. And Jesus, because he's at the start of his ministry here, he's showing his power, not just to the people, the public, but also in that very intimate environment to his disciples. He wants to show them his power in action and that he is the Son of Man. He goes to Peter's mother and he rebukes or he commands, is the word that's used, this disease to leave her. And it does. Now, I'm going to say something in brackets here. Please hear me. Some people have said because Jesus scolded the disease, we have the right to scold the diseases. And so they've misused this and they'll call someone into a room and they'll scold the disease. They haven't read their Bibles properly. You see, Jesus was speaking with his command. Now, does that mean Jesus doesn't heal today? Of course he does. But we can only command when Jesus commands through us. We cannot scold anything out of anyone. It's a misapplication of that word, rebuke. You see, this command Jesus was giving to this disease was the same command Jesus gave to those demons. And it's the same command he would give a little later in the book of Luke. When Jesus was on that boat with his disciples, that massive storm came up. The wind and the waves were going to swamp that boat. The disciples cried out in great fear and Jesus stood up and he commanded the wind to be still and the storm to die down. Same thing. Jesus commands and not just demons, not just sickness, but naturelists. Why? He is the Son of God. You see, all authority has been given to him. He said so and he is the evidence. Now, speaking about sickness and sin, I need to make another comment here because this has also been misapplied. You see, there are some people today who would say, if you sin, watch out. You're going to get a sickness. You see, how does sin and sickness work together? Where do we get sicknesses from? When Adam fell, sin came into the world And with sin came sickness and death. Alright, so sickness is here and death is in this world because of man's sin. But does that mean every time I sin I'm going to get sick? You see, the disciples came to the Lord. Turn to John chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. Just in brackets. We just need to look at this. Because this has also been misused by churches and by people. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, look at the disciples' question, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
And Jesus answered, look at his answer. Neither this man nor his parents sin. Here's the important bit. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. You see, when Jesus healed people, what happened? God was getting the glory. When Jesus heals you and I, who is to get the glory? Jesus is to get the glory. Unfortunately, there are those inside churches and church leaders who would use healing as a form, yes, they say, to give God glory, but in the end, it is them. They become known as the great healer. Come and bring your prayers to Him. He can heal. Who gets the glory? The person, not God. So God can heal, and yes, God does heal, but with what end? To glorify God. And so I want to ask you, as a pastor in this church, you might be sick. You might have cancer, and I know there are some that have. How are we to react to all these things when they come across our way? When we pray for healing, it is to give God glory. Doesn't it add a different spin on what we are going through? You see, God might be putting through a time of sickness. Yes, God might have given you cancer, but it's to His glory in the end. It's how we use that situation to point to the Lord. And so when you go for therapy, when you go and see your doctor, and by the way, go and see your doctor. Pray to the Lord. The Lord can heal, and He can heal 100%. He did. We saw it here in Scripture. And He can heal you too 100%. But go and see your doctor as well. And that's not a small faith thing. God says we must use the gifts and the abilities God has given to us. Go and see a physician. Have yourself checked out. But here's the rub. When you are interacting with nurses, when you're interacting with your doctor and with fellow patients, glorify God. Glorify Him. Use those situations. Lord, how are you going to use me when I go to the hospital this week? Bring someone across my way, Lord. And yes, I know I'm getting treatment, but use me, Lord, in some way. And you know, that's when people are vulnerable. You sit there on those benches, and I had it when, when Claire went for our back operations. There we were, and by God's grace, He had given us a peace which passes all understanding when our, when our daughter was going through an eight-hour operation on her back. And we were sitting in the waiting room, and people were there in panic because their loved ones were under the knife. And you see the anxiety on their faces. And then they speak to you and they say, are your people being operated on? Yes. So why are you so calm? You see, it speaks out volumes. Ask the Lord, Lord, how will you use me in this situation? Give God glory. And then look to the Lord for the healing. Yes, the Lord uses physicians. Yes, He uses your body and the natural mechanisms in your body to heal you. But in the end, it is the Lord that heals He is the great physician. He is the appointed one who is appointed to heal. He's been given that task by his heavenly Father. Amen? Use that situation. Know that God can heal you. But cry before him, Lord, use me too. Well, it's interesting I'm sure that news didn't stay inside those four walls. The Lord spoke to her. And the disease came out. Did the demons? Disease? And I can just see the grapevine spread. And when Mark uh, Mark says, 
when the door was opened of Simon Peter's home, guess what? The whole town was outside. And they didn't just come to come and look. They brought the sick. They brought more people with demons. And there they were saying, Lord, you can do it. Heal, please. These are our loved ones. And so Mark says the whole town was gathering at Simon's door. Now imagine, Jesus has just been through a service. He's healed someone. I don't know if he'd had time to eat anything. And now there's this crowd outside the door. But look at our Lord's heart. Isn't that an amazing thing? The Lord doesn't say, hey, listen, chaps. I've had a hard day. Can you guys come back tomorrow? That'd be good. Speak to my secretary. Make an appointment. Peter, will you take appointments? No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, I want to heal them. And he's out the door. And I love this. I don't know if you picked it up in their text. It says that Jesus laid his hands on every one of them. It's not just there because it looked nice. Jesus, that is the heart of Jesus, isn't it? He laid his hands on every single one of them that were sick. And that is why Scripture records in verse 42 that at daybreak, that's the next daybreak, so Jesus has been working right through the night on all these people, laying his hands on them, driving out demons and sicknesses. And at daybreak, he needed a break. He's, he's God, but he's man. And so as Jesus does, he finds a secluded spot. And there he wants to recover his energy. There he wants to commune with his Father, as we so often see him in Scripture, praying, getting his spiritual energies again. And that is where we should be too. When we've been putting a lot of work in, and God has been using us, praise the Lord, but we need to find space away. We need to find time to re-energize those spiritual batteries. We need to find time in the Word. We need to find time to commune with the Lord and have Him strengthen us again. Otherwise, we will never last the distance for Christ. We need to do that. And so when I as a pastor disappear sometimes, understand, I need my batteries recharged. I love you people, but I need my batteries recharged. My wife does too. And those of you involved in ministry, the youth ministry, and other ministries in this church, you need to take a good break every now and then. Jesus did it. And he's the son of God. The good news ends there for Jesus because the people find him. But, you know, look at Jesus' reaction. Verse 42. And we'll get to that. The people find him, but Jesus doesn't push them away and say, listen, I've had, I haven't even had a sleep tonight. Just leave me. No, we don't see that in the Lord. He speaks to them. And he says to them, I've got work to do. I can't just stay here for you people from Capernaum. I've got to get out to the other cities too. When we think about the way the Lord responded to the crowd and the way the Lord threw out diseases and the way he threw out demons out of people, I had to stop here and ask myself, is my view of God maybe too small? Maybe it's just too small. This is such a great God and we want to so neatly put him into little theological boxes. And yes, it's important that we get our theology right. But are we making the boxes smaller than what God is? We've got to remember that. And this church is a Bible teaching church. It always has been. But we've got to be careful as a Bible teaching church that we don't push out 
that Jesus can heal, that miracles can happen today, and they do. Because ours is a great God. His miracle working didn't just cease. Yes, they might have got less in those days when the word was going out for the first time, when Jesus was establishing his ministry, when he was showing the world that I am the Messiah. Yes, there might be less than that, but Jesus still heals. He can heal you. Yes, miracles still happen today. And you hear often hear examples, especially out in rougher territories, in the mission fields. You hear of miracles happening. But maybe we've got too boxy in our Western world. Have you got a small view of our great God? And I'm going to come back to that right at the end when we apply. But note Jesus' example here. The people come and the crowd search for Jesus. They find him. But Jesus has a mandate, you see. There's duty required by his Father. And there's duty required by you and I too, if we are believers here this morning. What was Jesus' response to them? He says to them, verse 42 to 44, I must preach the kingdom of God. So you must let me go. I must go and preach the kingdom of God, the reign of God, God's supremacy in the sphere of his saving power. I need to take out this message because the people need to hear that God can save. I need to go to the other cities, says Jesus. Why? Because I was sent for that purpose. Why did the Son of Man come to this earth? To bring salvation. And part of that bringing is the speaking of it. You see, Jesus said this, John 10.10, I have come, why? So that you may have life and have it to the full. And my friend, as you sit here this morning, I ask you, have you got full life in Jesus? Or are you running on your own energy? Do you have Jesus Christ in your life, indwelling you with his spirit, energizing you? Or are you like, perhaps like these demons, you know about Jesus Christ, but you haven't actually come into a relationship with him. You just know about him. Well, look what the demons feared. And you have the same thing to fear. Destruction one. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. He's still Messiah. He's still the one that can save you. He came for that purpose. Jesus would not be distracted from his task. Tell me, as a believer here today, I've spoken to the unbelievers as a believer here today, are you dis distracted from the purpose you were created for? Jesus has given you life, and he didn't create you so that you could work in an engineering firm somewhere. That's just the job you have to do for him. He created you to open your mouth and to speak out the gospel message. Are you doing so as a believer here today? Or have you been distracted by something? Our main purpose is to glorify God by living and speaking the Lord Jesus Christ. Our jobs, all those other things we do, school, university, those are all added. And we do those to the glory of God. Now, let's get to the application. If the Spirit hasn't done anything yet, I'm praying that He'll do something in you as I ask you four basic questions. First one is this one. Does your life measure up to the truth of God's Word? That's what Jesus was preaching in the synagogues. You see, so many of us have an academic and a head knowledge about Jesus Christ in the Bible. And such an academic knowledge is a dangerous thing if we don't apply. But sadly, it's such a common thing today. There are so many people who know about Jesus Christ and they've kind of read the Bible, but it's never gone from the head to the heart. J.C. Ryle said it so beautifully 
And if you take umbrage with this, blame it on JC, not me. This is what he says. We may know the Bible intellectually and have no doubt about the truth of its contents. We may have our memories well stored with a major text and we may be able to talk glibly about the major doctrines at great length. And all this time the Bible may have no influence over our hearts, over our wills and over our consciences. We may in reality be nothing better than the devils. You see, you may go through your whole life saying, yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. And you'll be saying, yep, I know that, as your feet sink into hell. If that hasn't gone to your heart. And I ask you this morning, does your knowledge of Christ make you actually love Him? Does your knowledge of Jesus Christ and His Word, does it actually make you love people? Or is it in your head? Does it go past your lips? Does your knowledge of the Word and of Jesus Christ, does it actually bear fruit in your life? Look at your life. Ask the Lord to show you, am I bearing fruit for you, Lord? Or has it become head knowledge? And you see, if you haven't got that fruit in your life, you need to plead with the Holy Spirit today because He's the only one that can do it. It doesn't help reading more and more and more and more. You need to apply the little bit you know and ask God to make that active in your life. Otherwise, it's lifeless knowledge. Jesus has come this morning to bring you freedom from knowledge. Now, I'm saying that in a church that teaches the Word. Jesus gives you freedom from dangerous knowledge. That's knowledge without application. The second question I want to ask you this morning is this one. Have you got a small view of God? You see, Jesus has almighty power. We saw that this morning. He could drive out demons. He could drive out sicknesses. At his command. He's the, he's the appointed healer. God has appointed him. He's the only one who can bring you spiritual life this morning. But the question is, have you come to him? Or maybe your problems are too big for God. Maybe there's sin in your life. You think, God won't be able to handle this. It's too big for him. Maybe your family problems are too big for God, you think. You see, Jesus conquered death itself. How big is your view of God? I brought this picture frame here today. It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you look through this frame, when I hold it at arm's length, I can kind of see this group, but I can't see these people. Yep. And I can focus in here on Shima. Alright. And um, the closer I hold it to my face, the more people I can get in. Now I can kind of get you as well. Great. And then when I poke my ugly head out here, last quite nice out here actually, um, I can see everyone. See, look how close the frame is to me. How big is your view of God? You see, is God like this in your life? I need God for my marriage. I need God for the sickness in my life. And there it is. But all this, this is mine. I need God because my schoolwork isn't quite going as it should be, so I pray, Lord, help me. But the rest of it, my relationships, my relationship with my parents, that remains out here, you see. That's a small view of God. 
you're at a distance from God. God is in your frame. But I ask you this morning, put God, you get into God's frame this morning. You get into God's frame. Because when God is this close to you, when you've got a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, He's in everything that you see. He's in everything that you do. There's nothing that you can do. There's no situation that you can get in and God won't be in that picture because you're in His picture. Do you get the difference? So many, lo- and I lived for a long time in my life with God here. And yes, I was a Christian, but I applied God when I needed God. I want to be in God's picture. I want to be here. I want to be close to Him. Are you close to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you in His picture? Then nothing you bring to Him can be too big. Not your sickness, not your financial woes, not your family troubles. Nothing can be too big for God. Come to Him. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He, you can become part of His picture too. But at this stage, He's not in your life. You're on your own. The fourth lesson, and this is a short one. As Jesus went out, he said to the people, I can't stay here. I've got a message. I've got a mandate. Are you on task for the Lord this morning? Have you been distracted by something in your life and no longer are you living with Christ at the center of your life? And the last lesson, you and I have the same mandate as Christ. And that is to live such lives that He is glorified through our lives. You see, our lives speak a message to people. And they'll speak one of two messages. There's only two messages that our lives speak. I reject Jesus Christ or I love Jesus Christ. There's only those two messages that your life sends out. Which one is it this morning? And if you're a believer here today, I ask you too. Which message is your life sending out this morning? Is it that Jesus is in control of my life, of all of it, and that I live my whole life for Him? Or is it that Jesus, I've compartmentalized Him and I bring Him up when I need Him? Be challenged this morning. The Holy Spirit says to you and I, from Psalm 95 this morning, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Don't allow Satan, if he's here, to grab away those words from you. Hear the word of the Lord and allow the Spirit to speak and to change what He needs to change and become a better person in Christ, inside God's picture. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for passages like this from Your Word where we see this divine power in action. Because, we, Lord, we look at our own lives and we see such a lack of power. And the question isn't, why aren't you showing me this power, Lord? It is we've moved and you are at arm's distance in our lives. Lord, if we believe us here today, I pray, draw us closer to you and may we again see your power at work in and through our lives. May our lives speak out boldly and loudly, that Jesus Christ is alive, Jesus heals, Jesus brings new life to lifeless people. 
May our lives shout out that message and may you be glorified. But Lord, I want to pray for any here today that still do not know you. They're standing outside of a relationship with you and on their way to destruction, Lord. I pray that your spirit would do your calling work right here this morning and that they would come to you and that they would come and commit their lives to you and come and bow that proud knee and say, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from my sin. I can't do it, but you can because you're all powerful. Lord, save me. Lord, may they come today and be saved. May you again be glorified. Use us and work through us. For your name's sake we pray. Amen.